Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Uh, we'll talk some spring training baseball action on today's show. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff. The Yankees, rumblings about Blake Snell kind of ramping up. Juan Soto said that he wants Snell to be a part of this team. Um, the, for the, the Cy Young winner from last year, still unsigned, much like many others. Cody Bellinger just recently got a deal. Uh, most improved player last season, uh, former MVP, of course. He re-signed with the Cubs on a three-year deal, I believe it was. But a lot of people, a lot of free agents still available. A lot of good free agents still available, which is crazy. Baseball is so bizarre when it comes to these free agencies uh, and the offseason. But the hot topic, of course, storming the court in college basketball it's it's insane. Like this is this topic has gotten so out of hand. Honestly, we're I'll, I'll talk about it, but it's not something. This is not. That's not going to be a main part of this 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 episode because so many national media is talking about you know how how to ban court storming, how to how to stop it, how to make it safer. Should it stay? Should it be completely you know barred? It, it's. So ridiculous, and it's such like a holier-than-thou kind of stance that people have taken. It's very weird. Um, Cam Newton got into a fight. That was pretty crazy. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk more basketball, of course. And then the Yankee, uh, the Giants, the New York Giants, coming out with a report that they are, quote, or that they are interested in, in, dra- in taking a quarterback in the draft, quote, if the situation is right, end quote. So. A lot to get to. Uh, let's start with the fun stuff. Why not? You know, let's start with the the uh, the court storming and Cam Newton's fight. Well, talk it's Cam Newton's fight. That was just interesting, man. Like I think it's we live in a pretty. It, it, it's almost in the same vein where it, it's like people just there's no level of respect. It feels like it's. The the thought of this happened in Atlanta. Cam Newton was hosting a seven on seven. I think it was like a youth tournament or or some something to that degree. You know, it, it was for you know younger players and it was for the community and stuff like that. And the thought of attacking a former NFL MVP is not only just stupid. It's like why why do you want to be that person you know what glory do you gain from beating up cam newton what street credit do you gain from beating up cam newton and the worst part is you didn't even beat up cam newton cam newton beat you guys cam newton didn't throw a single punch that i could see in that in that video not a single punch he got shoved and then got hit from the side by this guy and that dude who actually punched him, I think, ended up in a headlock, like a full Nelson. Then another dude was getting stiff-armed. Cam was literally smiling. Uh, they didn't even get to knock his hat off, although I'm pretty sure he had his his locks poking through the top. Like, I think he cut off the top of his hat and then had his locks sticking out of the hat. Um, so I'm not even sure it could have fallen off, but it didn't even move. They barely hit him. He's like manhandling these three guys at once. He's six foot five, 250. I don't really understand what was going through 
their minds why they thought this was going to work out, uh, but it didn't. And now everyone is kind of like, damn, Cam Newton's he's he's a he really still is a beast, you know. Like this is a guy who at 22 years old was like trucking, you know, 29, 27, 28, 29 in their prime middle linebackers, like running over them. No one could tackle this man. He was a a specimen, top 0.01% of athletes probably to ever exist. Like this is the kind of guy we're talking about in Cam Newton and how athletically gifted he is and just like the physical specimen he is. It, it is crazy to me that this is the guy you're going to try and jump. And then at like a, a football camp that he's hosting, it's just all kinds of sad that this is like, like this is this is how society, this is like a norm, like jumping people like this is a norm. It's crazy, 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 crazy to me that this is like where it's at. Um, and I hope it doesn't, I hope it doesn't, de- I mean, obviously, Cam Newton, I'm not sure he's going to be doing anything in Atlanta anytime soon, but I hope it doesn't deter him from hosting these camps and, you know, inspiring the youth and and teaching the youth about football because he's reached the highest peak of football you can. He made it to a Super Bowl. Unfortunately, they lost, but he made it to a Super Bowl. He's won an MVP. Like, he had the best record in the league. He's He was the number one seed. He did it all. He really did. And he did it all with not a lot of help. Like, he was... A one-man army for essentially his entire career. He had, um, you know, dur- during his tail end with the Panthers, uh, before he got hurt and his career kind of took a nosedive after that shoulder injury, uh, he had Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore for like a year, I think. So dating back to to Auburn, you know, winning a national championship, I think one guy started one offensive lineman started in an NFL game and that was it. He had no guys on his offense that took a rushing attempt or made a catch in the NFL. No one on offense. So he was legitimately a one-man army and that continued into a majority of his career as a pro with the Panthers. Like he was so good and Cam seems to be one of those guys I see a lot online, TikTok, you know, guys on football TikTok who think they know what they're talking about. A lot of dis- discredit and a lot of um, slander towards Cam Newton. It, he's like almost like the Carmelo Anthony of football, it feels like at this point in terms of like how he's represented on the internet. And I hate it. I think it's completely trash. Um, but Cam Newton, Cam Newton's a stud. Uh, he is an absolute unit. Um, and he was a great football player for a handful of years. Unfortunately, he didn't have the longest career. Um, but when he was in his peak, he was sensational to watch, like must watch TV. So it's sad to see like stuff of that happen. It was cool that Cam Newton was just like, yeah, I'm going to eat these punches. You're going to get put in a headlock. You're going to get stiff arm. And then I'm going to kind of just body the other guy from afar. Like you're not going to be able to get close to me at all. So Three guys jumping him, and then two of them immediately just getting absolutely rinsed by Cam, uh, all without throwing a punch. He was smiling. You can there was a freeze frame I saw where literally he was smiling. Like I don't know if he was like actually laughing or if he was just kind of chuckling to himself. But he was he was definitely he definitely let out a grin. So I'm glad he's okay and nothing serious escalated from that. 
It was just some three punks jumping him, trying to get some clout for beating up Cam Newton, and they couldn't even do that right. So congratulations. You're a bunch of losers. Cam, it worked out for him. I'm glad again, I'm glad nothing else escalated from it. I'm glad everyone's all right. But Cam's a beast. Do not mess with Cam Newton, dude. He is a unit. Um, the last silly thing before we get into some baseball, and then no, we'll we'll start with the Giants after that thing. But some other bit of news here, real quick. Um Storming the court in college basketball is a pastime that has been done for years and years and years. Uh, underdog upsets a top team. You storm the court. That's how it works. Now, I think there are some exceptions that are not. I, I, it's, a, it's a bit much. So there are, are two things that happened this weekend. Um where store uh court storming happened. So one which is the controversial one is Wake Forest storming the court against Duke. Kyle Filipowski, uh player on Duke. Wake Forest fans, students come storming onto the court after the win and Filipowski has a fan run into him. He hurts his knee, gets helped off the court people are making a huge deal about it and it went from he might have torn his acl to it's a rolled ankle to now he's just quote unquote not himself so my guess no real serious injury he got you know banged into from a from an above head angle that they showed it actually seemed like he was about to push the wake forest student and then they collided with each other um I have a couple thoughts about this, and I, I don't really think it's necessarily. It, it's really not a big deal. Like storming the court is such a unique and fun part about college basketball. You have Mike Greenberg on ESPN, college basketball guy, talking about, you know, it's more about that these, a lot of these kids, they have no real like uh, respect for like, boundaries with each other and that's why when they storm the court you know they they run into players or they run close to players and maybe they try and hit them maybe they try and trip them maybe they you know they smack them on the back or smack them on the behind it's i understand that part of it but there are there are multiple sides because then you have jay billis who's like going on espn saying Everyone who storms the court should be detained. <laughs> it's such an outrageous suggestion that it's like not even remotely feasible. But the part that pisses me off the most is like these journalists that are on national television who are, are saying this absolutely can no longer happen. It can't stand. You have to protect the players. Listen to me. You're Duke. Okay. You are a top team in the country. You are about to lose to Wake Forest. Jog off the court. I don't understand why no one is saying this. Like, I'm not I'm not blaming Kyle Filipowski. I'm not blaming any other other Duke players, but you have to be aware of the situation. John Shire, the head coach of Duke, he has to make his kids aware, right? You're about to lose at Wake Forest. I think it was at Wake. Uh obviously it was at Wake. Then then they wouldn't have served the court. But you're about to lose at Wake Forest. 
uh, that you know they're storming the court. Get your guys off the court as quickly as possible. Kyle Filipowski, the finer, the final buzzer sounds, and Kyle Filipowski is at half court walking with his head down to the scorer's table and then eventually going to walk off the court. He know you have to be aware that the, the kids are about to storm the court. Like, move. Jog off the court in a timely manner. Why are you? It's like you're asking to be bumped into by a million different people. You know, like, again, it's not his fault. Like, it, 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 I'm glad he's not injured because uh, if he really did like tear his ACL, then things would be a lot different. I think he just got like tripped up because um, now the only report that's coming out that from the post like three hours ago, they said that he's quote unquote not feeling himself. Which is like, all right, that's super vague, whatever. I don't think there's any real injury. But, um, and if it turns out there is a significant injury, then I have the right to completely retract everything I said. And and then that's that a much larger issue at hand. But um, yeah, if, it, it's, it's really a matter of like, just be aware of your surroundings. Like to me, I'm, I'm jogging off that court. I know we're about to lose. I'm making a dash for the locker room and I'm, I'm putting the blinders on and I'm not, I'm just, if someone's running towards me and they're about to run into me, I'm trucking them. Like, I'm sorry, get out of my way. Like you shouldn't be here. Um, I'm pissed. Like we just lost, get out of my way. And I think there's also a level of, there are kids at the, this is where I think I understand that there might be an issue it's not necessarily with court storming itself because court storming has been done for so many years and it's a fun tradition. It's cool. It's exciting. Two things. Number one, I think that there are certainly issues with the brand of uh, like this generation of college students and high school students coming up where they have no real regard for how things used to be done. It's more of just like they're going to do what they're going to do. So are there going to be college kids who are probably drunk in the stand, in the stands, running onto the, onto the court with their phones out, not paying attention, running into people, trying to like get maybe get into the face of a Duke player? Yes, I, I think there are definitely kids who have that agenda and have that MO who are like trying to piss off a player, trying to get in the grill, trying to say some like foul shit to them that probably wouldn't be cool if it was just like a one-on-one -on -one and you saw them in person, but now you're storming the court, you're in this big mosh pit, you know they're probably not going to do anything because they're just trying to get off. It's it's weird. It, it, it's pretty disrespectful. And I, I didn't see anything like that in the court storming. Obviously, the Filipowski getting, you know, run into is not great. But at the same time, it's like, why is he lingering in the middle of the court? Like, if you're John Shire, you got to be able to you have to you have to get your kids off the court. And people are saying Wake Forest security should be held accountable. Those guys are probably getting getting paid like five bucks an hour for extra cash, like off the books, just cash in their pocket for a couple hours of work. Um, it, it's they, it's not that serious to them, and they're certainly not going to try and like stop thousands of or hundreds at least of college students storming the court. I just think it, it's gotten blown out of proportion to where it's it, it's so you can't take anyone who's like 
like Jay Billis who's saying detain all the kids, people who are like, it's it, they're taking that holier than thou stance where it's like, you can't have fun, you can't do this, you the safety of the players, blah, 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 blah. Relax. Just relax. Okay. Um, I do think that it it really, if you ask me, I don't know if I'm wrong about this or not. I think it lands really on the coach. I think John Shire has to be aware of the situation that you know those kids are gonna be storming the court. You have to get you have to make your guys aware. Get off the court, get into the locker room, do not linger around, do not, you know. Walk off the court with your head down, keep your head up on a swivel, go into the locker room because you just lost. And these guys are about to celebrate. Get out of the way. I'm sorry. I just, I think that's, that's the, you lost, you know, the team's, this, this unranked in-conference opponent just beat you and they, they, they're going to score, to storm the court. You have to know that. So just get out of the way. That's something I haven't really seen people talking about that. And I, I don't want to do like any <laughs> victim blaming because like Kyle, Kyle Filipowski is the one who got hurt. He's the one that everyone's trying to like protect because he's the he's the player on the star program. And he, you know, getting hurt, obviously, you don't ever want that to happen to any player, you know, whether they're a role player or whether they're the, the best player in the country. You don't want any player to get hurt during something as as. Uh, as fun and cool and unique in college basketball as as storming the court. Now, here's where I take issue. Um, number one, UConn plays number 15, Creighton. It's a Big East matchup at Creighton. Creighton upsets UConn. UConn's the number one team in the country. Creighton's 15th. This is a Big East matchup. It's in Creighton. Creighton wins. It's I, I forgot what I think it was like their first win over a number one team in program history, which which right there, I think that's awesome. That that's it's it's a great thing that should be celebrated and it's a lot of fun and it's hyped, obviously. But you're Creighton. Like you're you're a top, you're you're the 15th ranked team in the country. You're very good. I understand UConn is number one, and you've never beaten a number one team before. But in that instance, in that instance, I don't like storming the court. I think storming the court needs to be reserved for like unranked teams beating like top five teams. If they're if they're conference rivals, that elevates it as well. Um, but I just I don't really. Like Creighton's a really good program and they've been a really good program for a long time. So I just feel like them storming the court after beating number one UConn doesn't have the same effect as unranked Wake Forest storming the court against Duke. Wake Forest is unranked. Duke's the eighth best team in the country. They're a top 10 team in the country. ACC rivals. I understand that. I just think like... In this instance, Creighton is too good of a program to storm the court after beating number one UConn as if it's this like improbable thing that doesn't really happen that often. Like Creighton is a good school, you know, it, it just doesn't, that doesn't really, to me, it's like a team 
that is not expected to, to, to run with like a top 10 team in the country. They should be getting blown out, yet somehow they win and they pull it off at home. Then you storm the court. Everyone goes crazy. It's like this awesome upsets, this awesome moment. Everyone has fun. It, it's great. But Creighton is a good program. They're a really good program. And I just, it, it feels weird that a, a good program like Creighton beating UConn, I understand Big East rivals, but like Creighton wasn't, Creighton's not been in the Big East that long. So it's not like they have a, a storied rivalry. It's, it's a very relatively new rivalry. Um, you know, or actually, I actually got that switched up because UConn left. UConn left the Big East, and then they came back uh, a few years ago. But Creighton has been in the Big East for like 10 years, um, but they were gone. I think UConn left when Creighton joined, and now they're both back in it. So it's only been, like, they've only been conference rivals, Big East rivals, for a few years. Uh, so it's not really like this crazy, long-storied uh, rivalry right now. Um, so there's not a lot of history there. Obviously, McDermott and Hurley are two of the better coach. I mean, Hurley is he's they won the championship last year. They're the probably the best team in the country still, uh, even with the loss. A lot of people, I think they might have dropped to three now, but they're still a great team. Um, McDermott's been there for a long time too. He's just I I think the team is too good, the program is too good. And the rivalry doesn't really run deep enough right now for me to be like, yeah, Creighton should storm the court after beating UConn. It doesn't hold the same weight as an unranked Wake Forest team beating a top 10 Duke team at home. It's, they've been in the ACC for, you know, God knows how many years playing against each other. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's that's a real difference. For me as well when you talk about storming the court but generally speaking i'm wrapping this up now because i've already real i feel like i've already been talking about such a silly subject for so long um don't get rid of it it's fun i think if you're like in the same ballpark as jay billis which is like detain everyone i think you're crazy i think i think you're crazy and i think you're just completely unrealistic um i think Maybe it's a hot take, but I think it falls on the coaches. Make your kids aware. Like, you just lost the game. You know they're storming the court. Get your kids out of there. Like, you got to, let's go. Wave them off. Come on, let's go into the locker room. Everyone's got to jog, brisk walk, whatever you want to do. The only thing you shouldn't be doing is standing on the other side of the court, walking towards uh, midcourt with your head down, and not paying attention to what's about to happen around you. Like that, you got to be aware of your... I know you just lost. You're probably pissed off and sad, but like you got to be aware of your surroundings. You have to be aware of the circumstances. Like this isn't your first rodeo. You have to have seen this before. Even if you haven't participated in a, 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 an event like that, you see it all over Sports Center. You see, it, you see it all over the news and stuff when it happens, the sports media landscape storming the court, a, a team loses and, and the other team storms, storms the court. You have to be aware that's going to happen. You got to go. You got to get off the court. All right, let's talk about the New York Giants real quick. A report came out from uh, Dan Graziano, I believe it was. He was talking about uh, they expressed, there's a couple things about the Giants. So Barkley's not going to be franchise tag, according to Scheffner. 
Um, Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, Barkley, Jacobs and Bar Derrick Henry's contracts up, but Bar Barkley and Jacobs were franchise tag last year. Um, they won't be franchised again. They're going to be free agents. Uh, Joe Shane, GM of the New York Giants, is talking about how, you know, he wants Barkley back and that he's going to talk to Barkley's reps at the Combine this weekend. So it's, you know, I would love Saquon to stay. Um, I, I love him. I think he's a terrific player. I think he represents the Giants as well as anyone ever has. Uh, I, I think he is a tremendous player. The offense, I think, certainly needs him. Um, but there's just this this weird narrative right now about the Giants taking a QB, quote, if the fit is right, if the opportunity is right. And I could I don't know what opportunity they're thinking of because I'm not really sold on any of the quarterbacks at all. Like I think Caleb Williams obviously has tremendous upside. He has some negatives, but for the most part. He is, I think, by far the consensus number one pick. I don't even think that's a question. Uh, and then you have Drake May, which, again, some people not totally sold on his tape from North Carolina. Um, might be a project guy, might be a sit-behind-you-for-a-year guy. Uh, and, but he certainly, I think, in terms of the physical tools, and when you just look at him, he certainly looks like an NFL-caliber quarterback. Uh, Jaden Daniels. Biggest thing I know people say about him is that he gets hit a lot. Um, he is dynamic and he has a high upside, but can he translate to the NFL? Can he stay? Can he avoid taking these huge hits? Because that is a concern. Um, and then, you know, you have other guys like Michael Penix, who has two torn ACLs. Uh, how is he going to translate to the NFL? J.J. McCarthy. Well, he's on a loaded Michigan team. Does he actually have what it takes to lead an NFL offense? There's questions, I think, from even though Caleb Williams is a guy that's like the consensus number one pick, I think there are question marks for all of these guys. Um, and if I'm the Giants, like as a fan, the Giants have a lot more things that they have to cover other than quarterback. You have Daniel Jones for another year, and then you have your out after this season if you really want to change direction at QB. Um, but for the most part, I just don't really see the benefit in trading away however many picks it would take to trade up to get a guy that you want. And if a guy falls to you there at six, there is no shot in hell you should be taking a quarterback at six. You need so much. You can... The Giants need to bolster their offensive line. They need to bolster their defensive line, linebacker, and secondary. All these things can use wide receiver. Who knows? Like, all these things need to be bolstered. Who knows if you are going to keep Saquon Barkley? Then maybe you, you need a, a running back that you might want to be able to draft. Um, I, I just, there are, quarterback doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like this is the year to go get, a quarterback that might be your franchise leader. Like I'm not sold on any of these guys being the saving grace that the giants need at quarterback. And that's no disrespect to Daniel Jones. I have been a defender of Daniel Jones. I've been a believer in Daniel Jones. He had a horrific start to the year last year before getting injured. Um, but I think he still could be a capable starter. 
I don't know how well the Giants, I think the Giants have a pretty tough schedule next year, but I don't know how well the Giants are going to be next year, how the, how well they're going to play. I think if they don't have Saquon Barkley, they're pretty much cooked. Um, but the bright side is, the upside is, at least there's an out. Bolster your lineup, bolster your starting. Uh, both Both sides of the ball, on defensive and offensive line, I think that's where the Giants need to start. Um, so I'm not sold on, at all on the Giants taking a quarterback, uh, even if the situation, I don't even know what the quote unquote right situation would entail. Would it be swindling someone in front of you to dra- to, to trade up and, and draft a quarterback? Maybe. Um, I just, yeah, I, again, I'm not, I'm not sold on any of these guys other than like if the Giants were to trade everything away and trade up to get Caleb Williams, sell the farm for Caleb Williams, then I guess you can't knock them for that. But outside of that, I'm not sold on Drake May being the saving grace for the Giants or Jaden Daniels or J.J. McCarthy and or Michael Penix. None of them. So I just don't really see there's any scenario with the Giants trading up to get a, a QB. It just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Uh, I would much rather them see see them draft an offensive lineman. That's really what I want. And I think if you're a Giants fan, if you're not, you're you probably don't understand the complexities of how a football team works. If you're a Giants fan, saying take a wide receiver at number six, take a playmaker, you know, because that's how I used to be when I was younger too. I wanted to see the flashy names. I wanted to see the playmakers. I wanted to see the running back, the wide receivers. I wanted to see those guys get taken high in the draft the guys who get the ball in their hand and make things happen. Uh, But now as I've gotten older, it's very much like we need a good offensive line because a good offensive line makes everything better. It just makes everything better. It makes everything easier as a football team when you have a great offensive line. And that's what I want for the Giants. I need, they need a stable offensive line. Um, But yeah, we're we're going into Barkley. He's not going to get franchise tagged, but he's also, I, I just, I don't, I don't know, like Joe Shane saying he wants Barkley to resign. He wants to resign him. He wants him to stay a giant. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what they're willing to offer him. I don't know what Saquon's looking for. I hope it's reasonable. I hope we can pay him. I want him to stick around um, because he's really like the only, the only true threat. Some guys can have good games. We've seen Wondell Robinson have a good game. We've seen Isaiah Hodgins have a good game. We've seen... Um, you know, Jalen Hyatt have a good game. Darren Waller, the Darren Waller trade has been basically completely unsuccessful thus far because he can't stay healthy, which was a concern. Obviously, when you traded for him, you were just kind of hoping that he would be able to, to you know, stay healthy and be on the field. Uh, and then he his talent would would show up. But even when he was on the field, didn't really make that much of a difference. He was banged up basically all year and out for a majority of it. So just a, a, a pretty much a disaster on that front. The, the trade just didn't do much at all to help the Giants offensively. Um, and the wide receivers, we've like I, like I said, we've seen a couple of them have a good game, maybe two, but not certainly not anyone that you know defenses are pointing at and be like, hey, we got to watch out for this guy. The only person who's like that is Saquon Barkley. And if he's gone, the Giants are going to have a problem, even more so than they had this year moving the football and scoring points. Uh, So, yeah, I'm not really looking forward to how that shakes up. Again, I hope he stays, but, I mean, my heart tells me he's gone. He's not going to resign, and he's going to go somewhere else.
Also, I mentioned uh, Barkley and Jacobs, who were tagged last year. Tony Pollard was also tagged last year. He was coming off that that knee injury he had um, in the playoffs against the Niners. Uh, so I he didn't even I don't even think he tried to negotiate anything. He just took the tag, and now reportedly not going to get tagged again. He will be a free agent. Kind of a disappointing year as the RB one for the Cowboys. A lot of people had upside for him because he was so dynamic when he was sharing the backfield with Zeke. I would like him to go to a situation similar to that. I would like him to be on a younger team, you know, let him be um, a second guy that some teams can have. Like, like the Texans would be sick if he, if he split time in the backfield with the Texans, I think that would be a dynamic thing for them. Um, A young team like that, the chargers, the chargers would be awesome. Uh, I, I mean, they definitely need to sign someone else because I don't think Pollard being the RB1 there is going to be any better than how he was on the Cowboys. Um, but yeah, like that's a, that would be a great fit, in my opinion. Things like that. So Tony Pollard, he'll be a free agent as well. That's a bit of football news. I just, again, I don't really think that uh, the Giants are in a position to go after a quarterback. I think there needs to be a lot more uh, done in that regard. Uh, let's move to basketball. The NBA crazy game last night between the Pistons and the Knicks. Uh, and I remember a while ago, not a while ago, it was like a couple weeks ago, but the Knicks lost the game to the Rockets on a foul call against Jalen Brunson, where they said he fouled. Um, uh, I don't even remember who it was. It wasn't Jalen Green. It was someone else. Maybe it was Fred Van Vliet. Um, but they they fouled he fouled him free throws for the Rockets. Knicks end up losing the game. This time it's the opposite. Knicks actually end up winning the game. Just a crazy end to it. Uh, Knicks down. Well, Quentin Grimes first of all glides to the hoop and makes this crazy like gliding in front of the hoop cross body to his left finger roll as he's passing by. Lays it in. I've never seen him do that once with the Knicks, but okay, now with the Pistons, I guess he has free reign to try some new things other than just shoot the basketball. So makes this really smooth looking layup. Pistons take the lead with like, I don't know what it was, 15 seconds left, something like that. Uh, the shot clock was off. So Knicks get the ball. Jalen Brunson shoots uh, a three. He misses uh, the uh, Pistons rebound. The ball is poked out. And now poked out right there. First, you at first uh, you're like, oh, that might be a foul, might be a region foul. It wasn't a foul upon. If you see it, it's all ball. Ball gets poked out. It's loose. Um, Amen Thompson, one of the Thompson brothers, his brother Asir, is on the uh, the Rockets. I think I might have gotten them mixed up just now. Um, Amen Thompson is on the Rockets. So. Amon's on the Rockets. Assur is on the Pistons. So Assur is going for the loose ball. He gets possession of it. Dante DiVincenzo pokes the ball out, but basically completely undercuts Assur Thompson. Like, it definitely should have been a foul. And uh, I think the refs also already said, like, they missed the call. Um, so it was it was definitely a foul. But the Knicks get the ball back. Josh Hart ends up laying the ball in. End one. Misses the free throw. Gets the ball back with like one point something left. Gets fouled again. Makes one free throw. Misses another free throw. Ball gets tipped around. Clock expires. Pistons don't aren't able to. Because the there was time on the clock. Pistons had a timeout. 
if they just rebound the basketball originally after the end one, they call a timeout, they get a shot to try at least win the game. They couldn't rebound the ball on two missed free throws from Josh Hart on two different uh, attempts, two different like possessions at the line. Uh, the Knicks were able to chip away the rest of the clock doing that, and they end up winning the game. So a law, they avoid a nasty loss to the Pistons. It probably wasn't really deserved. They they might have, you know, they they definitely were on the beneficiary end of a non-call this time around. So uh you can't say it wasn't they wasn't due. They just they I think they they deserved one of those one of those missed calls going in their favor. So the Pistons were pissed. Monty Williams was pissed. You know, this is a team that they're not actively tanking. They have a lot of young players. They're trying to figure it out. I I don't really think Monty Williams is doing a very good coaching job, but that's besides the point. Um, they're a bad team, but they're not actively sabotaging themselves for a higher draft pick. They're just they're just bad. Um, and I think that it pisses them off. You know, you want to win basketball games. Losing sucks. No one likes losing. And they have eight wins right now. They're actually tied with the Wizards, I think, currently for the worst record in the league, which is which is hilarious because the Wizards, I didn't expect them to be this bad. Jordan Poole is unplayable. Kyle Kuzma is like whatever. I just they're they're, they're bad. The Wizards are really really bad. Um, but the Pistons, like, they might end up with less wins than. The Lions, the Detroit Lions. And I said that in back in, I said that back in November. It was like they're going to end up with less wins than the Detroit Lions. The Lions ended with what, 12 wins, 11 wins? The Pistons have eight right now. Uh, so it, it's certainly possible. But I think what they say this morning, it, it's the, the 72 Sixers ha- had nine wins and that was a full season. That's the lowest. The Bobcats more recently had only seven wins in a season. Uh, but that was a shortened lockout season, so a little bit different. I think there was only like 60-something games played that year. Uh, yeah, uh, the Knicks, crazy, crazy win. Controversial win last night. Um, other basketball news, Bronny James. Uh, ESPN mock draft has Bronny James going in the second round of the 2025 NBA draft, and LeBron took exception to that. Uh, LeBron responded to the report that Bronny was removed from the 2024 mock draft and projected to be selected in 2025 in the second round again, I believe. LeBron said, can y'all please just let the kid be a kid and enjoy college basketball? The work and results will ultimately do talking, do the talking no matter what he decides to do. If y'all don't know, he doesn't care what a mock draft says. He just works. Earned, not given. Meanwhile, a lot of people decided to dig up LeBron's other tweet which was not too long ago, um, just a handful of months ago, he said, man, Bronny, definitely better than some of these cats I've been watching on League Pass today. Shit, lightweight, hilarious. Uh, and then another tweet that said, LeBron said, Bronny could play for the Lakers right now. He could play for us right now. Easy. So, that's another thing. Um, it's It's pretty... Like, obviously, LeBron, I think Stephen A. Smith was saying LeBron kind of put that pressure on Bronny. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think LeBron was just confident in his son's abilities. And I think Bronny is a good player. Obviously, he's raw. 
um, the the translation. He also he's coming back from having a freaking heart attack. Like it's it's I I don't really think many people are um like mentioning that and, and adding that into the equation. He had a heart attack like six months ago. <laughs> it's it's not or more than I think more than six. It was like seven or eight months ago. But still, it's like crazy that. No, it was way less than that. It was like, yeah, it was like six months ago. It was, it was, it was crazy. I, I, I think that the fact that you you're putting so much pressure on this kid, like you knew it was going to be a work in progress. He wasn't necessarily sold as like this complete one and done guy. Obviously, people were looking at LeBron saying he wants to play with Bronny. He's waiting to retire so he can play with Bronny. So that's why he's going to be a one and done. It's going to cause leverage amongst NBA teams. Who's going to get LeBron? Um, he's a free agent after this year. So I just, I mean, I, he's, he's LeBron James Jr. Dude, like he is going to have pressure on him no matter what he does in life. It doesn't even have to be basketball. It could just be, he could decide to hang it up and not play basketball anymore and just do whatever. And people would still keep tabs on him because he's LeBron James's son. It just. I, I, this notion that LeBron created this hype around his child is pretty crazy to me. Um, you know, LeBron's even the one who said that he kind of regrets naming him LeBron James Jr. Uh, because of that inherent pressure he put on him uh, to be a great basketball player. But it's, it's blown, blown out of proportion. You know, I, I think that Ronnie has a lot of skills. I think he could be a good point guard. I think Bryce, and I think a lot of people already recognize this, Bryce James, the second son, is already, he might be better. Like, he already might be better and, and a better prospect than Ronnie was um, or is. But Ronnie James, he's going to get a, a shot at the league. He's going to play in the league. You have guys like Kenyon Martin Jr. is in the league, Scottie Pippen Jr. is in the league, some other good NBA players, their sons are in the league and they're not that great, but they do get minutes. They do get contracts like they're role players. None of them are necessarily stars, um, but they're not bad. And Bronny, he might fit into that category. Like I can see Bronny playing. I think like a Mike Conley type could be his ceiling, which Mike Conley is a, a good player, got a big contract, can, can shoot, good playmaker. He's a good point guard. Um, I could see Bronny reaching that, that level, I could, Mike Conley, which that's no disrespect. Like I just said, Mike Conley's a very good player. At one point, he was actually the highest paid player in basketball. So I don't think, you know, Bronny's ever going to be the highest paid player in basketball. But um, in terms of talent and what you bring to a team, like I think Mike Conley's a pretty good comp to Bronny. But uh, regardless, I, I, I think this whole obsession with it's just so exhausting that ev everything is just under a microscope i don't understand how lebron doesn't get exhausted about it like he's proud of his son you know he he thinks a lot of dudes suck in the league which is not wrong <laughs> like there's a lot of bad players in the nba right now um and he's not wrong that Bronny is probably better than some of them i don't think he is uh but to i i just 
you gotta let sometimes the, the guy is talking about his kid, sometimes he's talking about the basketball player. I, I think it's pretty interesting. It's exhausting, really, like how often everything is scrutinized and put around. I can't I can't believe he still puts up with it, but he does. Um, Bronny is gonna be fine. He's gonna be fine. If he's a second year out of college, whatever. Who cares? Who like being a one and done nowadays, the one and dones are over. Since NIL started, one and dones are kind of a thing of the past. They're not really a cemented thing where it's like you have if if you aren't a one and done, then you're just not gonna translate to the NBA. That's not what it means at all. Like, and again, the kid is coming back from a heart attack. I would give him I I give him the year. You know, I actually I I think I said that I would be surprised if he did play. I, w- I was not even expecting him to play, and yet here he is. He plays like every game now. So I, whatever, man. I, I think it's all blown out of proportion. I think it's exhausting. Um, and I think talking about, I think we, if, if Bronny James was not LeBron James Jr., I think a, the, the mainstream media would be hailing him as a warrior and a hero for suffering the heart attack that he did and then coming back and playing this year and playing the minutes that he does for USC. I think people would look at him and be like, oh my God, how is this kid doing it? And instead, people look at him and be like, ah, he sucks. This is LeBron's kid. He's not any good. He'll never make it in the league. Blah, 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 blah. That's what people are saying about him online. Um, and then ESPN, they're just whatever. They're they they think he's not going to get drafted this year. He's going to stay at USC, play another year, and whatever. And that's that. Um, so I, I think that it's uh, blown out of proportion. I think it's exhausting, and I'm kind of sick of it, but it is what it is. It's LeBron. It's his family. They're always going to be in the spotlight, uh, probably even after he retires. So that just, it is what it is. Uh, all right, some baseball to wrap up the show. Uh, the Yankees are reportedly interested in signing Blake Snell, which I believe I mentioned I touched on last week. But now Juan Soto has expressed that, um, quote, it would be unbelievable if the Yankees got Blake Snell in free agency. He's endorsing the pursuit of Blake Snell. Obviously, those two guys played in San Diego together last year. Blake Snell is the reigning Cy Young winner, NL Cy Young winner. Um, he also has won an AL Cy Young with the Rays. So he is a beast. He has a weird thing in his career where he's he's had a bit of inconsistencies where he's dominant. And then the next year, inexplicably, um, he does just he, he has a significantly worse year. Um, and he walks a lot of guys. That's also his thing. He He walks a bit. Uh, but you have, for example, back in um, 2018, when he won the Cy Young, he won 21-5 and five with a 1.89 ERA. And then the next year with Tampa Bay, um, in, 23 star- in 23 starts, he went 6-8 and eight with a 4.29 ERA in 107 innings. So, you know, 80 less innings, 9 less games started. Uh, and a high ERA. So it, it, it was like a little bit up and down. Again, he walks people. 99 walks last year. 
by far his career high. Um, his second highest was a few years ago for San Diego in 2021. He walked 69 batters. That was his previous high. Last year was 99. So it that's a bit concerning. Um, I think regardless, he's a solid pitcher. I mean, he won, he's won two Cy Youngs. That's not just like a coincidence. Um, so despite maybe some of the negatives that you might be worried about with, you know, his health, staying healthy, staying on the mound, staying consistent and the control thing. Other than that, I, I don't, I mean, I think those red flags are dwarfed by the green flags that he has. Uh, he He's a great pitcher, experienced. Um, I, I, I would like to see him in pinstripes and and bolster that rotation that the Yankees so desperately need to bolster. And it'd be a huge signing. And I feel like at this point, it might even be a bargain. Um, and baseball has this weird thing. Like Cody Bellinger just got, I think, got three years, 80 million to resign with the Cubs, which congrats, congratulations to uh, my sweet boy, Cody Bellinger. <laughs> Uh, I love Cody Bellinger, man. He's awesome. And I'm glad he's back to back to form. And I hope he continues to rake in Chicago this year. But yeah, I, I, I watched a couple of spring training games already for the Yankees. It's like a fever dream with Juan Soto in this lineup. It's a fever dream. He had like eight RBI, eight RBIs in, uh, in, in two games. Two preseason games, he had a, an opposite field home run, and then he doubled deep off the op, opposite field home run, and then a double to right field off the wall. Um, his swing is just, I can watch his swing all day. He looks great. His ability to drive the ball the other way, hit it to all field with power. Um, he has the best plate discipline, plate discipline, I think, in all of baseball, because this is a guy who only hits like, between 275 and and 290 you know he's not really a consistently above 300 hitter yet he's on base 45 percent of the time you know his on base percent he has over he has a, a 900 plus a thousand plus ops he has a, a 400 plus on base percentage even though he's not even hitting 300 like it is very impressive the guy just gets on base and that is something that the yankees have desperately needed for a long time guys who get on base um and he's not a high strikeout guy either so or at least i mean last year he was uh he had 132 walks to 129 strikeouts last year but previously to that um his last year in washington in 2021 145 walks 93 strikeouts um not counting the COVID year, but the year before that, 2019, um, he was 20 years old and he had 108 walks to 132 strikeouts. That is, that's his career high. But uh, 2021, best year as a national, easily. I believe the best year of his career so far, but he's still only 25 years old. He's young. I, I, I've raved about the Orioles on this podcast before. They have just such a, a deep pool of young talent. Every single dra high draft pick that they've had over the past several years has panned out to be a very good player. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle, or uh, uh, Anthony Santander, and then of course their crown jewels right now. These three kids: Adley Rushman, Justin uh, Jackson Holiday, and Gunnar Henderson. Uh, Gunnar Henderson is twenty-three. Adley Rushman's twenty-six. And Jackson Holiday is only like 19, 20 years old. So, uh, but Juan Soto 
is younger than Adley Rushman. That that is something that if you're a baseball fan, it still blows your mind because Juan Soto feels like he's been around forever, which he's been around for six years. And Adley Rushman, he's been around for a couple of years, and you kind of think of him still as this young phenom of a catcher. He's 26. He's a year older than Juan Soto, which begs the question, if you're the Yankees, if I'm the Yankees, I'm giving Juan Soto whatever he wants. I'm giving him 10 years, $600 million. I do not care. That That is well worth the investment for a guy who played 162 games last year. He's a beast. Give him whatever he wants. Uh, I don't, it, it, there should be no low balling whatsoever. I actually saw pretty depressingly, um, like Mets accounts, not like official Mets accounts or anything like that, but like Mets fan accounts who are just like soon. And it's like a Photoshop picture of Juan Soto in a Mets jersey. Um, and, and it's people who, like someone who it was like a, a, a news aggregator for Mets stuff on Twitter that was like, you know, are the Yankees going to be willing to shell out that kind of money for Juan Soto when they just paid Aaron Judge? As if that matters at all. Uh, if Juan Soto doesn't re-sign with the Yankees, I hope it's because he didn't like it here. Um, if he doesn't like it here, then he doesn't like it here. But if it's because the Yankees lowballed him, that's going to be a serious issue. I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, obviously, negotiations are negotiations. So you're going to have to bargain with with some of these guys. Uh, maybe Soto comes in over the top and says 600 million. The Yankees can talk him down to 500. I don't know, but you know, would it be the craziest thing in the world if the Yankees made Juan Soto the highest paid player in baseball? I don't think so. I think it would be well justified, especially if he has an MVP caliber season like he's had in the past couple of years. He is so good. Um, I, I just I love watching him play baseball. I can't believe he's in pinstripes. It's one of those things. I again, liking it. I, I've talked about it on the podcast. I've written about it. I liken this to the Alex Rodriguez trade. I think it is just as significant. Um, and I think it can, it can reap some really high rewards here for the Yankees this season. Right now though, the focus is on Blake Snell. Go out and get Blake Snell. Why not? Why not? If no one, if everyone else is low, like, just sign him. You could do it. I believe in you, Brian Cashman. I believe in you. And uh, he certainly would have. Cashman gave him a lot of shit. I did. The fan base did. The internet did. Gave him a lot of shit for how he handled the team last year. And rightfully so, I think. I don't think that that hate and that that judgment was misplaced at all. But if he signs Blake Snell, that's a hell of an offseason. That's a hell of an offseason. All right. That'll do it. For this episode, or from my point of view, a little bit of everything here, a little football, a uh, little baseball, basketball. It was all nice and well. Haven't really talked too much hockey here, but we probably will when the playoffs start. Um, I'm going to see Dune this weekend, Dune Part 2. Heard it's phenomenal, like incredible, incredible, incredible reviews. I had one of my friends who is just a huge fan of the series. He got like an early screening to go this weekend, this past weekend. He said it was phenomenal. But, you know, with him, it's like you're so obsessed and so in love with the story and everything like that. It's like, is it that good or were you going to like it no matter what? Um, because I, me and a lot of my other friends, 
the first part was really slow. It's a lot of exposition. That is a movie, though, that I'm definitely going to have to rewatch before I see this other this part two this weekend, for sure. So I am very excited for Dune uh, part two. I heard it's like nonstop, just a complete spectacle. Um, so I'm excited for it. But that'll do it for this episode My point of, from my point of view. Obviously, we'll have a Dune review next week, of course. Um, but thank you all for listening. Appreciate you as always. Have a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you all next week. She don't want